Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. My name's Omar Oaks and we're back with another episode where the journalists unpick what's going on in media and advertising over the last few days. We've got a lot to talk about today. I've got reporter Ella Sagar who leads on our audio coverage and is going to educate me on who Ken Bruce is and why he's caused such a stir in the world of radio. While there's lots going on in TV too, whether it's Sky Media getting into bed with ITV, Omnicom stepping up its efforts to grade media owners on how sustainable they are uh oh. But first, there's only one place to start, and that's the Ofcom Media Nations report. So, it looks like the pandemic is well and truly over when it comes to impacting the UK's media habits, as both broadcast TV viewing and streaming subscriptions have gone into reverse. This year's Media Nations report suggests that the decline in traditional media behaviors is not just continuing to fall, but drop ever more quickly as different generations transition from offline to online media channels. Um, Ella, what was your main takeaway? This is obviously a huge report. Um, Rich Kirk, who's the chief strategy officer of Essence Mediacom Media Agency, described it as Christmas for media planners, (laughs) because that gives you an indication of um, how much information there is in there. I mean, what was your main takeaway? I mean, it covers TV, it covers streaming services, it covers radio, it covers... Uh, social media. I think for me, it was, there are some things uh, where, you know, I think in your column, you say there's maybe not like a killer statistic out there. It's, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Such and such is declining, such and such is growing. But the fact that Netflix is the third most popular, like go-to destination when Mm. people turn on their TV, even if it's only 6% of those people, as opposed to BBC One and ITV One taking 20%, that's still quite uh, a uh, kind of a bronze a bronze medal position for that for that kind of that's, it, that's extraordinary isn't it so um so ella brings up the fact that um as part of the report it says that the, we ask people what are the what's the first thing you do when you switch on your television about 20 percent turn to bbc one um, about 13 percent um go to itv mm-hmm. um in third place is not channel four it's actually netflix on six percent now six percent isn't that much uh, which gives you an indication of how low down channel four is um but you know um that so many people are now have a screaming a streaming subscription to netflix in the uk that is actually the first thing um they turn on that's going to be something to keep an eye out on um because it's not just um what people are watching when they're watching tv it's actually the the way they watch TV is changing quite a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So you've imagined a lot of people are turning on Netflix as their first thing. They might not even be using traditional electronic program guides that come with your Samsung TV or your Sky, whatever. They could actually be going on to Apple TV Plus or um, one of those fast um, channel curators. Um, and as Ellis says, I did write my column on this. And what struck me, as you say, Ella, there wasn't, a particular killer line that really um, struck out in terms of changing media behaviors, but just this, this, this move towards short form content isn't going away. And I don't, and what was interesting that came out of the figures is not just a young people phenomenon either Mm -hmm. that actually um, there are a lot more older people, one in seven people, it looks like who are using short form content every single day. Um, TikTok, YouTube, obviously one of the main platforms. I mean, be honest, Ella. When's what's the last linear linear show that I watched? watched? I mean, it's this weekend. I watched quite a lot of linear TV because my grandma was visiting, and that's her ah. go-to. So, ah. but if if you take that anomalous experience out, 
I wouldn't tend to watch linear unless it's live sport, like unless it's, you know, something like the Women's World Cup, which is going on right now. Um, so that that is, those are my habits. Um, and I think what was interesting was the addictive nature of TikTok that they kind of mention or that it's, I think you spend about an hour on short form videos, what the report said every mm, day. Mm. Um, and I think because something like TikTok doesn't have like a wait time, it's always like just one more video, one more video. And YouTube did have that, it does have that with their kind of up next, but there's like a bit of a buffer. There's normally like three seconds until the next video. So that's, that's something that might be interesting to see if that changes. Yeah. And I think it represents a bigger cultural shift in which, you know, the the the, re the lead researcher from Ofcom described as, you know, media is now this all-you-can-eat buffet where we all have these different choices and this, this competition among media owners to fulfill those choices is what's going on. I actually see there's something more deeper than that where, yeah, an hour a day across the population is what people are, uh, claim that they're spending on TikTok. That's what's actually happening, it seems to me, is a big social media or social experiment in real time in which people are constantly watching these TikTok videos, as you say, because of the algorithmic nature of it. It just keeps on throwing this content at you. You're not choosing a lot of this stuff. It's just kind of washing over you. I just you. wonder how many TikTok videos are is in an hour. Like, is that 20 30? Well, yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they're generally between 15 and 60 mm. seconds, I mean, you could you could do the math four times, you know, it's potentially four times 60, mm -hmm. so, you know, around 200 videos mm -hmm. an hour, right? Um, that's a completely different um, kettle of fish compared to traditional broadcast where you're kind of sitting there and you're looking at a program guy and then you're making a conscious decision about what to watch. Um, are we heading into, you know, a new norm where people are just happy to have content washing over them? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's clearly very addictive. I, I describe it as crack cocaine <laughs> in my column and I chose that very deliberately. And there are serious questions to ask. I mean, maybe beyond the scope of this conversation about whether limits need to be placed on mm. young people in particular who have got very still kind of moldable brains and you know, whether, whether this form of media consumption is healthy um do you do you personally put limits on kind of how you consume social media yeah, or definitely. Short -form content? uh since last year really so i have um a kind of timer on my phone that's turns off every app apart from you know important apps maybe if you need to make a phone call or that sort of thing so between 11 p.m and 7 a.m my phone is just all of those other the most of the apps are just on kind of like blank mode and you have to physically go ignore my limit um for today to to access it again and then i think for social media i have it limited at an hour a day for so you just kind of put the apps in a list and say i only want to spend a maximum but it's like a combined hour so if i'm doing like 15 minutes on pinterest 50 and whatsapp counts as a social media mm. and so actually there's the one that's the bit that takes up most of my social media time yeah uh, meanwhile, broadcast TV's weekly audience reach um, suffered the steepest annual decline since records began. How about that? Um, older audiences' daily viewing fell at the fastest rate ever too. Um, meanwhile, the number of UK households using a subscription video on demand SVOD service <laughs> um, actually fell a bit um, to 66 
two thirds in the first three months of this year. And that's down from a peak of just above that 68%, which was the first quarter of 2022. Um, so clearly what we're also seeing is that a lot of people cutting back on subscriptions, still cost of living mm-hmm. crisis, still ongoing, rising interest rates, people cutting back on luxuries. Um, but at the same time, we saw in Netflix recent earnings that actually globally they added 6 million subscribers and looking very profitable, very healthy. Thank you very much. Um, so Ella, do you think as hopefully interest rates, I mean, interest rates actually did go up a bit again last mm-hmm. week, but hopefully, you know, inflation will start to come down. We've got elections in the UK and US next year. So mm-hmm. maybe it, things are looking good for the economy as, you know, you know people, politicians want to win elections, maybe give away some giveaways, <laughs> who knows. Um, but do you, do, you, do you kind of, are you more optimistic about the the what's happening with streaming platforms um do you think what was happening over the last year 18 months is maybe a dip mm, i think it's it's there's been a lot of a lot of the earnings calls that we've sat in on recently um i th- <laughs> Um, in the background, that's there's colleagues in our central London office watching the a penalty shootout that's happening. Yes, so hopefully that's good news. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so I uh, was thinking about the the kind of go to terms of the macroeconomic climate and that you hear in a lot of these earning calls and the uncertainty. But I think it seems like when they introduced the ad tiers, that people weren't quite sure how that was going to go. And I think maybe even if people haven't chosen to swap to the ad tiers on mass it's good for new subscribers to have an option and and maybe that is something that uh if if people want to re reevaluate i think it's looking a bit rosier than it was before i think also maybe they'll do well out of the as we mentioned last week's podcast out of the the hollywood um strike um the with writer's the, strike, yeah, the writer yeah. strike the actor strike if they've got their own kind of studio and original content um, then maybe that's a factor as well. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's potentially um, really good news for Netflix, as we mentioned on the previous episode. Um, the fact that they have a different, completely different way of commissioning content, the fact that they've got all this IP from across different countries, they could just take something that's doing really well in Spain and convert it for a US, UK, Western audience. Uh, um, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of um, good good things on the horizon for Netflix potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another Casa de Papel or another Squid Game or anything like that could be, they could just convert it over. Um, that That's a good point, actually. Yeah, uh, not not Squid Game because I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Anyway, uh, so also big story from last week, um, Ray Jars. Um, Former BBC Radio favourite Ken Bruce's new show on Bauer's Greatest Hits radio network reached 3 million listeners, which is nearly double last year's audience for the day part, according to Bauer Media. Um, The show, which has a loyal fan base, thanks to the Popmaster Quiz... Um, as well as Bruce's winning personality, I'm sure. Um, it attracted nearly a million new listeners since last year, uh, which is nearly yeah, 93%, nearly double year-on-year growth. Um, Ella, um, so I, I mean, we were just talking about uh, linear broadcasting. I don't listen to a lot of linear radio. Please explain to me, audio reporter, who is Ken Bruce and why do people like him so much? <laughs> I think Ken Bruce is, uh, well, he was at the BBC Radio 2 for, uh, or just BBC for 31 years. And so wow. I think with that... BBC Radio 2 being still the biggest breakfast station, uh, I think he is that voice for many people that they kind of have grown, gone through big life changes with. And 
I think also that Popmaster quiz, which the BBC did have a, the option to copyright, by the way, they could have kept that and they chose not to. So, mm. and one of the findings from the Ray Jars was that the streaming um, for Ken Bruce's show is the highest around the qu- when the quiz airs. So it's kind of, oh yes, people have moved because people really like Ken Bruce over to Bauer from BBC, but they also have moved because they like the quiz mm, format. Mm, mm. And I don't know if that's a, what that tells us about the British public and their love of quizzes, but you can make up your own mind on that one. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, the former Radio 2 presenter who is uh, 72 years young, moved his morning show to the 10am to 1pm slot on Grace Hits Radio in March after, yeah, as you say, 31 years at the BBC. And his departure was actually sped up by BBC bosses. So his final show mm. aired a month before his contract ended. I mean, what do you think if, you, if you're sitting there at the BBC? Do you think, uh-oh, we've made a big mistake here? Or do you think um, they might have anticipated something like this happening, but they see a longer term play in terms of, you know, they were replaced him with Vernon Kay. Vernon Kay, yeah. Do you think it's like they, they accept some short-term pain in order to kind of give to to breathe new life mm. into their presenter roster. Yeah, you've got a few other like big uh, BBC talent leaving at the, kind of around in the last year, you know, and going and making really big waves in commercials. So the most obvious would be Emily Maitlis and John Sopel, who moved to Global and st- for the News Agents podcast, mm. which has been so successful that they've made a US version yeah, as well. Yeah. And Lewis Goodall as well, I should mention. Um, and I think... If if I if you were at the BBC, I don't know how you would deal with that kind of exodus of talent because I think obviously there's a few different factors. I think a lot of the main one being that they they've a lot of them have mentioned they feel kind of they can speak their like whatever they want to say. They have more freedom, and which they didn't feel they had at the BBC. Um, and I don't think that's something that can easily be changed. So what, what, what in general, what couldn't they say when they were at the BBC? I think that's maybe more for the, like on the news side of things, the kind of presenting both sides as equal, like that both sideism and that um, kind of having to put uh, people um, say at the most, I think what Emily Maitlis gave an example of like people who believe the earth is flat. So you'd have to give them the same prominence as someone who doesn't believe the earth is flat, which makes it look like they're equal views and then, or like they are, they've got an, as much evidence behind each, even though it would be much, much harder. Like you don't necessarily see in a program, you don't see uh, how hard it was to find someone to show a different opinion to a kind of commonly accepted fact. Yeah, and I, mean, I think also the whole Brexit and the coverage of Brexit is another thing as well. I think On the news I mean, side, Bre- Bre- Brexit's a really good and well documented example of that. I mean, um, I, th- I think I actually wrote a column about this maybe eighteen months ago, a year ago, about um, flat earthers because you had this guy who was running BBC News in front of a Parliament Select Committee, and you know there was a lot of uproar because he said that he would platform someone um, who kind of believed in flat Earth. Mm-hmm blah, blah, blah. Um, and a lot of people saying, this is ridiculous. You know, you, you have to draw a line similar to the Brexit thing, you know, putting on the whack jobs who are kind of advocating for all sorts of nonsense related to Brexit and putting them on the same equal footing as, you know, economic experts who are telling us that Brexit was going to be bad. But my, surely if some, if a flat earther has got something interesting to bring to the table, then yeah, you platform that person mm-hmm. and you ask this person 
hard questions. I don't understand this bothism debate. I don't understand why you have to give equal prominence. Mm -hmm. You go as a journalist, it's your responsibility to find out what the interesting things are and put proportionality around it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very curious about people like Emily Maitlis who kind of depart from the BBC and say, oh, it's terrible. I had to, you know, had to give people equal coverage. It's like, well, there's a difference between impartiality and due impartiality. Mm -hmm. The BBC's charter actually talks about due impartiality, which means that you don't have to give the same weight to equal views because there are mainstream views and there are fringe views and there are batshit views, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, I think as journalists, we should always be looking to be challenging mm -hmm. and look for extreme views and see if there's something to learn. We should always challenge our first principles. Otherwise we don't develop and grow, but there's proportionality to it. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, well, maybe to your point, Ella, that's why um, people seem to be turning off the BBC and heading towards more commercial options. Um, commercial, one of the stories you wrote saying commercial radio is going from strength to strength. It, explain what's going on. So it's for the past couple of quarters, commercial radio has been growing its share of listening against the BBC and its average weekly reach. So now I think in the latest RAJAR, it is about 54.5% um, share. Um, and that is about um, the previous quarter was around 51%. So that oh, was quite a jump. That was quite a jump. And, uh, and I think it's, it's one of those things that, uh, when I spoke to Matt Payton for a, a, a podcast a few weeks ago, he was saying it wasn't always this way. And so you, they've kind of got to keep on building on this momentum and that, you know, commercial radio was kind of always a bit in the, like, not the shadow is the wrong word, but kind of uh, lower share, lower weekly reach than the BBC and the BBC was quite dominant. And so now I think this is also what um, Simon Kilby, who's the MD of Bauer Media Advertising mentioned in my interview about Ken Bruce. And he was saying it is the main thing out of this Rajar release is that the kind of the, the overall picture for commercial radio is really, really positive. And so I think from what he was saying that it's because of that investment in the in the talent, in their distribution is another big one. So commercial radio stations tend to have a higher share of digital listening, I think, mm. than BBC. So it's easier to listen online, on an app, on a smart speaker. And that is how more and more people are listening. So that's a big factor. So that's really interesting. So when I think about digital listening, so I would have thought that the that would actually benefit the BBC because you just got everything in BBC Sounds for mm -hmm. podcast and you've got BBC iPlayer for video content. Um, whereas if I think about if I want to listen to something on global LBC Capital, oh, I've got to kind of search for an app. Mm -hmm. um, so, but you're saying it's actually the distribution has been more beneficial for the commercial players. Yeah, I think... Um uh, I don't have the exact figures, but Global and Bauer all have quite high share of digital, like in terms of their total digital listening, um, uh, total listening, digital comes up quite high. Um, and I think um, something that everyone keeps talking about is the smart speakers. And that's uh, now accounting for 14% of overall listening. Mm. And that's, I think, up from 0% in 2016. Mm. So yeah. uh, it's something that, I think is only going to get bigger and bigger. And that, I don't know. It's not that the BBC isn't compatible with smart speakers and all of those things. It's, it's just one of those, it's, there's a lot of elements behind the scenes that happen with the distribution to make, and that's something to do with the media bill that um, Matt Payton also talked about and prominence 
in in-car radios or on smart speakers as well. Uh, yeah, which is really important that you're still able to access um, free-to-air radio, now digital radio, um, on smart speakers. Um, well, I mean, you're right when it comes to Amazon and Google smart speakers. It's very easy just to ask, you know, play play, play BBC Radio 1 or play Capital. Mm. Um, but you can't do that on Apple uh, HomePods, oh, really? uh, which is really annoying. <laughs> and I have to, you know, I have to, if I want to listen to Radio 4 in the morning, if I've got to start playing it on BBC Sounds on my phone and then airplay it to the smart speaker what a faff <laughs> what an absolute faff sort it out apple um, um yeah and um we should also mention um i think this is something that maybe that didn't get um reported widely in the radio coverage last week is um the rise um of talk radio um what's happening um talk radio seems to be having a bit of a moment during the pandemic um it's obviously something which the future for me anyway remains uncertain with so many podcasts around i'm always wondering is pod a podcast going to generally replace talk radio um but they seem to have done quite well of late what's happening with talk radio yeah it was interesting because i think when i was speaking with our colleagues on our on the audio team and they they kind of were saying talk radio across the board uh experienced a quarterly drop um and normally in my head i kind of would look for a yearly um trend rather than a quarterly one mm. because so much can fluctuate quarter on quarter it could be uh, people could be listening to less talk radio over summer months because they're away on holiday mm. and they're not mm. in their like work commute mode for instance um but I, and so then looking at it year on year is maybe a bit of a better indicator, but I think one anomaly that kind of bucked the trend as uh, talk radio and GB news, uh, particularly GB news that's been growing and uh, admittedly from a smaller base, but they are doing a lot on, of uh, simulcasting their TV and also doing a lot of a very, to, to our point earlier about snackable content, snackable TikTok and um, YouTube content from their shows. And that those do really well. And GB News now on YouTube has got more followers than LBC. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Um, and I wonder if um, Paints opens a, a bit of a window into the long-term strategy of a GB News or a Talk TV and actually how um, a lot of people kind of disparage those those um, TV channels for not having a large audience. Um, but maybe what they're doing is actually more of an integrated approach. And I bet talk radio is a huge part of that. But um, um, let's see. Now, time for more stories. Let's have some hot takes. Ella, what else has been happening in the news? <laughs> so there's been a lot of uh, TV stories uh, in the last uh, week or so. So... Uh, Omar, you wrote a story about Sky Media, which is the ad sales arm for Sky, that has um, agreed to sign up to uh, ITV's Planet V video on demand ad platform for a you know kind of trial. Um, so, what do you think is the significance of that um, in terms of you know it's, is it kind of more collaboration between the broadcasters? Are they going to kind of keep will Channel Four join? <laughs> well, I'm sure ITV would really hope so, and it's actually um, it's a it's a it's a big win actually for ITV's commercial chief Kelly Williams. Um, I interviewed him 
um, God, was it three years ago already? Um, when they when they formally launched Planet V, which is their addressable advertising platform, and you know he made this kind of big grand invitation to uh, Channel Four and Sky Media to join this platform as well, um, and it looks like he's actually done it. Sky Media um, is now trialing membership of Planet V. Um, it's I think what's happening is the broadcasters have slowly but surely realised that they are not each other's enemies. They're just the competition. The real enemy is Google and Facebook, mm -hmm. frankly. And when it comes to digital media, they are having to collaborate a lot more when it comes to um, sharing, um, not sharing data, but sharing data techniques in terms of distribution and even marketing as well. Don't forget, we've actually seen some joint marketing efforts um, by the big broadcasters over the last few years as well. And the big thing that we've not heard a lot about, but probably will towards the end of this year, is um, more details about their joint audience measurement service, which is called SeaFlight, in which um, they all have been working busily together in the background to offer joint offline mm. and online measurements. Yeah, um, I remember it, it's beta testing now, isn't it? Yeah, it's been yeah. beta testing with the, the big media agencies who are looking at it and suggesting feedback. And, you know, the, the, the end goal of that is basically to make it easier for advertisers to measure offline and online audiences for television um, and to start getting more granular data, which is what they get when it comes to digital advertising. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, much more to come on that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a self-serve platform, isn't it? So it's kind of with that, is it for brands and agencies, they can kind of, they can plan and buy campaigns um, across different VOD kind of services, Yeah, essentially, basically. Yeah. Um, as if I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, next, next up was the the story about Netflix and Disney Plus, or just in SVOD services in the US. Um, so for Netflix and Disney Plus, it was revealed that only two percent of those subscribers in the states are on a cheaper ad-supported tier. Um, so both of them launched those tiers in December mm. um, of 2022. And what's the significance of that, Omar, um, in terms of do you, were you expecting the number to be higher or is that do you think execs at those companies would be happy with with where that where that level is often less than a year i don't know is a short answer i think we've all been if we're honest a bit in the dark about what would actually happen with netflix and disney plus when they launch these cheaper ad free tiers um let's not forget that in netflix's case in particular it all seems a bit rushed like they launched this last summer off the back of a really bad earnings announcement and it seemed to be you know buckling to market pressure that you know come on guys you got to do advertising now you got to do advertising like, okay we'll do advertising and we'll get microsoft to help us um and lo and behold six months after launching this in the u.s only two percent of the total subscriber base in the u.s are taking ads now if you compare what's interesting about um, this is if you compare it to you know the likes of uh, I'm trying to remember like ad, ad supported or... tiers like you know uh, yeah so comp so Peacock Paramount Plus Hulu which is also owned by Disney um, they because they launched with ads in the first place the the and did um, premium ad free options later. Um, people have been much more open to having them as cheaper platforms supported by advertising. And it just shows that the market has reached a point where essentially you have such saturation 
when it comes to, you know, we saw this, we just mentioned the Ofcom report as well. Um, there's essentially people who want to pay ad-free streaming services, they have it already. And they're very price sensitive. And if you kind of increase the prices too much, they're just going to, they're not going to downgrade to a cheaper tier. They're just going to come off completely. Um, so I think Netflix is looking at that. And I think it they've in response, they've made a more aggressive pricing strategy where they had this kind of, um, basic ad-free option in the middle, which has just been binned. So you're in a situation where you either have to have the cheaper ad-supported option or you have to have the quite expensive ad-free option. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see the streaming services be a bit more aggressive in kind of their... Pushing their, those apart. Yeah. Because, because if you think about it, what, what are you left with otherwise? You're left with people who don't want to pay for ads, the richer people, and poorer people... Probably we're talking about students, right? Who are just watching Netflix on the laptops who are willing just to pay a bit of money and get some ads. Mm -hmm. If you're an advertiser and that's the kind of clientele that you're, that's the only clientele you're able to advertise to, that ain't great. Um, so, you know, we've been saying this the whole time since Netflix, you know, in December launched this ad tier. What they have to do is offer more innovative solutions. Um, it's clear that the Microsoft deal hasn't been working. They've just mm. renegotiated that. I think ultimately they will be looking to move to a position where they 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 do the ad sales completely themselves. They build the product themselves so that they could have, which you would hope from a creative genius company like Netflix, where you have just a much more interesting advertising offer, product placement, sponsorship, not just a load of spots which are inserted into content that was created for ad-free. Um, so yeah. I so I, th I think it's, it, the broad takeaway is it's very difficult to insert ads into an ad-free platform, but if you launch with ads, mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot more success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then using AI, I would imagine that that's a massive priority for them to try and prioritize where the ads could sit and that kind of contextual placement and stuff. I think that's, that's quite an interesting one as well. Yeah. Mm. And the next one is an agency story. Uh, Omnicom uh, media group has begun to measure media owners based on their ESG or environmental, social and governance practices. So advertiser clients can better understand the impact of their sort of spending decisions. Is this, is this a good Thing that all agencies should be looking at or what what's what's the benefit for an advertiser for, for of this kind of measurement well i think it's in response to advertisers themselves are you know they're they're asking for agencies to tell them okay you're going to buy media across tv online audio whatever it is I need to start internally and and one day externally reporting what is the what is the carbon effect of my media of my media spending of my marketing budget. Um, so this is something which is going to be happening. You know, the bigger advertisers are starting to demand it. Omnicom looks like to be the first big agency group which is actually formally um, giving advertisers feedback information on what the ESG impact of the ad dis spend decisions are. It's interesting that the first client they've launched this with is the UK government. Um, Omnicom has a special specialist media agency out of MGOMD called Omnigov, which um, has the government accounts. Um, and it gives a total average performance rating for the whole ad industry being 56.4 out of 100. 
<laughs> and um, it's fifty Omni- percent a parcel. <laughs> well, yeah, and um, Omnicom, uh, this OMG Impact tool they've just launched has shown that the UK government score is above fifty-six point four, um, but they would not say by how much. <laughs> Believe me, I asked them. And Maybe it's one percent. No response. Well, it could be fifty-six point five over fifty-six point four. Who knows? Um, but no, really interesting. Expect this to happen a lot more in general. Yeah, it's it's a good thing. We need to know. You know that we if we. We, we can't solve the problem unless we know how big the problem is. And, you know, intuitively, we know that particularly when it comes to digital media, we've written so much in the last few years about ad fraud, ad waste. All of this has a carbon impact. It's a huge waste on, you know, um, resources. And it's time to start getting real about what the scale of this is so we can start to tackle it. Mm, yeah. And I think last week I wrote an article about um, Scope 3's um, now quarterly um uh, emissions report that they're doing f- about digital advertising. Uh, so it's only the second report that they've done. And so from the next quarter onwards, they'll be able to do more of a trend over time because you can't really do a trend over two quarters. But it's, it is quite interesting that a lot of what they call climate risk inventory is made for advertising sites and how much of a proportion of the spend of a campaign, if you took out those sites your performance is not actually impacted. Mm. Uh, in, in fact, in most cases it improves, but the, the carbon emissions goes down by a huge amount. And so maybe the, these are sort of things that would be highlighted by the, that Omnicom measurement tool as well. Yeah. And um, it'd be remiss of us not to talk about the fact that um, we're recording this on a Monday morning in Saturday in London. It was raining all day. It was terrible. Uh, And I think that came out after a day that I read a news story saying that the ocean was measured at being 20 degrees at a time of year when it's usually 16 degrees. And scientists saying that this is unprecedented, the rise in um, sea temperatures. Um, Very worrying. Need to take action. Um, Okay. Enough about that. Depressing (laughs) stuff. Um, What's coming up this week, Ella? What do we have to look forward to? So we're at the tail end of the earnings season, which is always a busy time for us um, Mm. at the Media Leader. Uh, So we've got a couple of more earnings uh, coming up this week. So the Trade Desk uh, coming out tomorrow. Um, And they're normally, I would associate them with programmatic, but they've also been getting involved in the retail media space as well with Schwartz Media, which owns Lidl. Um, So that's quite an interesting move, I think. Um, and then on, I believe, Wednesday, we've got Clear Channel's earnings um, coming out later in the day as their headquarters technically is in San Antonio. So I'll be as the out-of-home uh, reporter keeping an eagle eye on that. And what, yeah, with Clear Channel, what will you be looking for in particular? What's, what's interesting about Clear Channel? <laughs> at, at the moment, I mean, it's interesting because over the last quarter, they've agreed to sell their Spain and Italy businesses to JC Deco. Mm. Um, I believe that Italy has already gone through, that's finalized. Um, and then Spain is still subject to local um, kind of approval. Uh, but, and then I think they're also in terms of their France business, they're look that it's been sold or it's in, in kind of uh, decisions with um, uh, it, what's the, what's the word? Conversations with private equity with a sp- exclusive conversations with a private equity group. So they're eager. So it sounds like they're, they're busy selling off loads of stuff with us. Yeah. With us have anything to do with the fact that they're sitting on a huge pile of debt? I think it might be linked. Yes. Uh, okay. So it'd be interesting to see what, if that, uh, if that's the focus of the, of the call to kind of present themselves as like, oh, we're becoming more efficient. I find that in these earnings calls, when people, when, when they're talking about efficiency, it's normally to do with 
cost cutting and their like EBITDA. Are you suggesting that company <laughs> leaders spin their results? <laughs> not, of course, of outrageous, course not. <laughs> outrageous. Um, so yeah, that's. I think that would be quite an interesting one. And out of home post pandemic is quite an interesting um, channel to be uh, writing about more. And and yeah, we'll we'll see what the uh, what the outcomes are. But at the global out of home sort of congress in Lisbon, which I was lucky to attend, the whole um, uh, what the president was saying was you need to the out of home in order to become more than a five percent media channel globally needs to consolidate. So maybe this is what we're seeing. Mm, interesting. Mm. So yeah. Uh, and then next up, as we might have heard, if you didn't hear earlier with some cheers in the background in the office, um, hopefully that, I, I really want to see the results, but of England versus Nigeria today, but it is the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand and the semifinals are later this week. So Sweden upset the um, the apple cart by knocking out favourites USA over the weekend. And so they the semifinals sit so far as Japan, Sweden, Spain and the Netherlands. And so we will see who goes through between from England, Nigeria today and Colombia and Jamaica tomorrow. Yes. And <laughs> um, of course, in the UK running on um, BBC and ITV. Um, Ella, thanks very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Media Leader podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts but just remember please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode from all of us at The Media Leader I'm editor Omar Oaks our executive producer is Jack Benjamin see you next time <laughs>